0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, remember we are <coughs> working our way through divine liturgy, and we have reached the point where we hear the Epistle and the Gospel, and we've had a homily, and the, there's a series of prayers between the homily <coughs> and the start of the cherubic hymn. The first is a, a litany and then there is usually, a, if there is a person who has departed, or people have departed, there is a litany of the departed, and then there is the prayer of the catechumens. We heard about the prayer of the catechumens last week. The prayer of the faithful, and we heard about the prayers of the faithful and the dismissal of the catechumens. And then this prayer, two prayers that... Usually when there's a deacon or a priest, or certainly when there's a deacon, all that you hear are two litanies, and the priest will say something uh, underneath. Uh, And if there isn't a deacon, uh, there are two very shortened litanies, and there are as many as are faithful again and again in peace, let us pray to the Lord. That's the end of the dismissal of the catechumens. And then, help us, save us, have mercy upon us, and keep us, O God, by your grace. And then, a a long wisdom. And that's completed by, for to you belongs all glory, honor, and worship to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then again, again in peace, let us pray. Help us, save us, have mercy upon us, keep, keep us, O God, by your grace. Wisdom. So the two wisdom prayers, as it were. And there are two prayers that are usually said almost entirely silently. And there is a, a movement within the Orthodox Church uh, today to say uh, some of these silent prayers uh, more aloud so that they can be heard. I know that uh, sometimes if a, a priest is mic'd up, he says them so that they can be heard. Uh, and certainly in, in our parish, some of these silent prayers are said so that you can hear them, but uh, these two are very specifically prayers of the priest rather than Prayers that are said without being heard, if you understand what I mean. These are not general prayers. These are prayers that the priest is saying himself as opposed to general prayers that are about you uh, or for you. And sometimes when you listen to the texts, you can hear the text being quite specifically prayers that are about the priest or for the priest himself. So they're very rarely said aloud. In this particular first one, it says, We thank you, O Lord. As opposed to the second one, if I remember correctly, it also says, We fall down before you. Other ones say, I, and they refer specifically to the priest. So what's being said in this prayer? We thank you, O Lord, God of powers, who has counted us worthy to stand even now before your holy altar and fall down before your compassion for our sins. I can almost hear not the we in this case not being the individual priest perhaps more the gathered elders the bishops of the church perhaps even the echoes of the apostles themselves gathered and saying this prayer themselves i don't know the history of this prayer how old it is where it comes from but sometimes when i say this prayer uh, myself silently i hear the apostles standing together saying we thank you o lord god of the powers has count us worthy to stand even now before your holy altar and fall down before your compassion for our sins and those done in ignorance before by the people receive our prayer o god and make us worthy to offer you prayers and supplications and bloodless sacrifices for all your people Enable us, whom you have appointed, to this your ministry, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to call upon you at all times and in all places with a pure witness of our conscience, without stumbling and without blame, so that hearing us you may be gracious to us in the abundance of your goodness. And I say this sounds apostolic, I'm not sure that it is, but it sounds apostolic, because it points to something quite important uh, that perhaps is pick and, picked up in the epistles and refers specifically uh, to a shift in the understanding of the church from the time of the Jews to the time of the Christians <coughs> and it points to a particular issue that I had when I was first becoming orthodox Christian and I was a uh, as just ordained and I kept tripping over this phrase we fall down before you before your compassion for our sins and those done in ignorance by the people and I was always having a problem with this ignorance of the people in English that's quite a pejorative term ignorant people I'm not entirely sure that you before me are ignorant in a pejorative sense you're not ignorant people what what what's meant by this ignorance is of the people and who is being referred to here when we look at The meaning of that translation is not a very helpful translation. It means the errors or the unknowingness of the people, rather than people being ignorant, deliberately ignorant. It means the things that people do without knowing about it, not because they're stupid or deliberately unknowing, but because people do things without necessarily knowing that they're doing something wrong. And for me, that... Understanding has developed over time, not just to refer to you and my prayer for you uh, as a congregation, but to refer to the, us as a people for the whole of Northamptonshire, for everybody. And when we pray, and I pray, or we as clergy pray, not just for our own weaknesses, our own sins, but we also pray for your sins, not just for your sins but the sins of Northamptonshire, for the sins of all the people, whether they come to church or not. We fall down before the compassion of God for our own personal sins, but also not for the things, sins that you've done yourself deliberately, but for the things that you have done in error, in unknowingness, and not just for you, but for the, all of the people of this town we pray, we take on those sins. Sometimes you do things and say things about your Christianity which are manifestly wrong. I know because I hear them and you say them and you do them. And that's my fault. Because I'm your teacher. I am your priest. I'm your parish priest. That's why I preach the way I do. That's the way this parish works, is that our job as clergy isn't just to serve the liturgy, Our job is to teach you. Some of you were baptized very, very many years ago and were not catechized, did not go through catechism. It was assumed that you were baptized as a baby and your catechumenate was just a few months or a few weeks or maybe just a few minutes in your baptismal uh, rite when you were baptized as a baby and that somehow magically going to church and having a godparent, was your catechism. And of course that doesn't automatically happen. And you've grown up somehow magically infusing the Christian faith. If you've come to Orthodox Christianity, or even come to Christianity more broadly as an adult, you've had to learn stuff, you've had to find stuff, You've had to acquire that knowledge. And you may have acquired that knowledge from books, from published books, or you may have acquired that stuff from Wikipedia, or even worse, from YouTube. And some sound stuff is available on your YouTube, but what happens is that that then becomes eclectic. It comes in bits. It's not systematic. It's not exploratory. It's not done physically it's not done experientially which is why an adult catechumenate can take years because the first thing we ask a catechumen to do is spend at least a year experiencing the physical nature of the lectionary the lectionary being the readings and the feasts of the church to see at least two Pascas. I see and hear and feel and smell two Pascas. And even if we've been to 25 Pascas, that doesn't mean that we have understood the faith. (coughs) We are temples of the living God, says Paul, writing to the church in Corinth. And I will dwell in them and walk in them. And we see and hear in the Gospel today this very common and very well-understood parable. And it's well understood because in this particular Gospel, Jesus explains the parable. It's very rare for Jesus to explain a parable because he wants to tell us those that have ears to hear, let them hear. He explains to us through the apostles what the meaning of this um, parable is, but often this parable is preached in a personalised way. When you have heard this, I'm sure you've heard this explained in this way: is what sort of soil are you? What sort of soil do you think you are? Are you the soil that is the rock? Are you a rock and have you or do you lack moisture of the gospel? Are you a thorn? and the seed has been thrown at you and the thorns that, that have sprung up and the gospel has been choked by your thorns uh, are you uh, the shallow soil and the riches uh, uh, and your cares of the world uh, have created weeds uh, and the gospel uh, has been overwhelmed or have you are you good soil and this is often how this gospel Uh, reading has been or this parable has been preached and it's preached about in such a way and it's often entitled the profligate sower the generous sower the person who goes around god has been seen as the person who throws the seed willy-nilly just chucking it around and often there's a depiction of a man with a big basket of seeds just throwing the seed as if he is foolish Chucking the seed foolishly around, hoping that the seed, the gospel, the good news, will hit the right people. And I'm not entirely comfortable with this idea, because it has a sense in which God is foolish. And I'm not entirely convinced that that is God's plan for us. Because when we see in the Genesis story... When we think about who God is and what God has created us for, God is very careful. God is very particular. He has counted the hairs on our head. He has created us for a purpose, to know him and to love him and to know his love. That he is conscientious and careful and loves us and loves us and cares for us. And there is another model of farming, another model of making seed and this is not the chucker of seeds, but the planter of seeds, the person who takes an individual seed and places it very carefully and puts it into the soil. I'm sure you may have seen this, not throwing the seed but planting the seed very carefully into the soil. And you can still go and put the seed in every single place. You can put the seed on a rock, very carefully ploughing the seed on a rock. And you can still carefully plant a seed next to the thorny bush. You can still put the seed in all areas. The careful sower, the conscientious sower, who still cares for every single place that the seed is put in, who treats every single place with care and love and maybe we shouldn't care whether we are a rock or a thorn or a deep rich soil that's not God's point here God's point is that each one of us is a place where the seed has been put every single person out there whether they are thorn or rock or rich soil a seed has been put Let's be clear about that. Whether they're thorn, whether they're uh, rock, whether they're sand, whether they're salty soil, whether they're right now inundated with flood and flood waters, God has still placed a seed. And he has done so carefully and deliberately. Therefore, in Adam, they are human. What happens next is up to us as the body of Christ, as the tiller of the soil, as the farmers. That's the bit that is important. God has prepared us, not prepared the soil, but prepared us with the Holy Spirit, that is the seed. He has prepared us. But we, as the body of Christ, we, as in I, as your parish priest, to teach you and to prepare you. But I can prepare you all you like. I can teach you all this stuff. And I will continue teaching you all this stuff until you're bored out of your heads. But you are the farmers. The seed has already been sown, but you have to till till the seed and till the soil. You have to tend to the soil. You have to tend to the farm. We have to do that. We have to do something meaningful with God's vineyard. We have to prune. We have to check it. And we have to prepare for the harvest. Do you see what I mean? God is a profligate sower. But he is also a careful and very conscientious sower. He has sown every single human being. Every single human being with the seed of the Holy Spirit. He has made every single human being a person. A person recognised by him. Named by him. In the Jewish tradition, recognised as a human being, as worth, as divine, inspired, divinely inspired, in other words, filled with, with his holy spirit in adam but for us to till, for us to make into other human being into a divine theosis filled creation of god human in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen